0: Thank you for downloading A Jigsaw Guide to Life with Alec McClellan. Hi, I'm Tim Donnelly. Welcome to the program. We're so glad you could join us today. Have you experienced the
1: wonders of the laws of nature and then wondered how these laws came into
0: effect? Alec has a passion for pursuing truth, practicing tolerance, and promoting critical thinking. An author and a speaker. You can find out more about Alec and his resources at www.alexmcclellan.com. Well, the relationship between science and religion is the subject of much debate in America and around the world. Are science and religion in conflict? Are they compatible? Could they even be complementary? Well, on today's program, Alec briefly considers the history of science and religion exploding some of the myths that pull them apart, and digging deeper into the relationship between faith and reason to bring them back together. Some questions seem to be ruled out of
1: bounds in the context of doing science. Science allegedly deals with how things happen. The why questions, well, those are reserved for the domain of religion. That's why some scientists will talk about the grand mechanism of the universe, but Don't ask them about, how do you get a grand mechanism without a grand mechanic? There's no reason to believe science and religion belong in two separate worlds that never overlap. It makes sense to see science and religion as coexisting, as compatible, even complementary. And that's the way it's been from the beginning. Many early giants of science, they looked at life from God's perspective. For example, people like Francis Bacon, Kepler, Pascal. I raised this one time and provoked a sceptical response. Well, what did you expect? At that time, God was the only game in town. Well, the first problem is if you Google the history of science, you'll find out that there have always been scientists who believe God did not exist. Also, any argument that just dismisses um, a position based upon the majority view or a particular time in history, well, it's self-defeating because the view now can also be dismissed as just the majority view or just for this period in history. Finally, the early giants of science who held this kind of position, they weren't displaying some kind of empty cultural Christianity. Listen to the moving words of Isaac Newton. He said, This most beautiful system of the sun, planets and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent, powerful being. This wasn't falling into line with the times. This was flowing from a real belief, from a living, breathing relationship with God that was driving the desire to do science. Christianity supports rational inquiry because it explains the existence of rational beings capable of rational inquiry. We are made in the image of God. And this God isn't hiding, this God isn't silent. Listen to David's words in Psalm 19 The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The history of science brings science and religion closer together, but many people are still trying to drive a wedge between science and religion, sometimes describing science as the domain of reason and religion, well, that's the domain of faith. For example, listen to this quote. We may define faith as the firm belief in something for which there is no evidence. Thus said, 20th century atheist Bertrand Russell. He claimed faith and reason are different enterprises, different kinds of thing. Science, well, that's the domain of fact and it's anchored in evidence. Religion, that's the domain of faith and it flows from feelings. Well, this is undeserved, this is unacceptable because everyone is a person of faith, including every scientist. Many scientists don't like to admit this. Some don't seem to realize this. But science begins with presuppositions, things you presuppose, things that you can't prove by doing science, but things that you have to assume in order to do science. For example, science can't use science to prove the external world is real. It has to assume this in order to do science. Science can't use science to prove other minds exist. Simply assumes this is true. Science can't use science to prove things in the past, mirror things in the present and will mirror things in the future. Again, it has to assume this is true. Science can't use science to prove something is morally good. Science is morally neutral. Although we can't say the same of scientists. Finally, Scientific conclusions are just an inference to the best explanation. Nothing is set in stone. Everything's subject to change, if and when we discover new and improved information. Every scientist is a person of faith. Using faith to fill in the gaps, wherever reason falls short. And reason will always fall short. But there's no shame in saying this. As Cambridge physicist John Polkinghorne said, the scientist and the theologian both work by faith, a realist trust in the rational reliability of our understanding of experience. Let me say that again. The scientist and the theologian both work by faith, a realist trust in the rational reliability of our understanding of experience. What is Polkinghorne pointing out? Without faith, we can't even know that our ability to reason is reliable. But you have to start somewhere. And this requires faith. Christian faith is anchored in reason. And scientific reason is anchored in faith. But we need to remind some people, they seem to have forgotten that faith and reason work together. Many seem to believe God is only necessary to fill in the gaps of what we don't know. And then when we do know, God is no longer necessary. Well, history tells a different story. Isaac Newton didn't hit a wall when he encountered the unknown. He didn't just shrug his shoulders and say God did it. He wanted to know how and why God did it. And then when he found answers, this increase in knowledge didn't uh, pull him away from God, saying God wasn't necessary anymore. It deepened his respect and appreciation for the God who was behind it all. And this seems like common sense. My father-in-law, Gordon Koistra, is a retired missionary and jungle pilot. He loves all things mechanical. If you mention engines, his face lights up. Now, he's not put off by the fact that he knows that an intelligent designer was responsible. He's curious and he wants to learn more about how these engines were put together. And the more he learns about good engineering, the more he respects and appreciates the engineer. The scientific method builds a bridge from ignorance to understanding. Christianity operates in the same way and there will always be gaps in our understanding. While you could just as easily insert nature to fill in the gaps, and some do. How many times have you heard this? Mother Nature is responsible. Mother Nature is responsible. Well, the Christian God is not a God of the gaps because belief is not based upon what we don't know. It's based on what we do know. It doesn't flow from what we cannot see. It flows from what we can see that inspires confidence and belief in the existence of God. The more we appreciate the wonder of the world, the more we appreciate the wonder of the one who's responsible for it all. I want to dig a little bit deeper into reasons why some would reject God as creator, but still applaud Mother Nature. Well, Mother Nature is an affectionate term for unguided forces that allegedly drive the abundance of natural laws that hold the universe together. Describing something non-human in human terms is a sleight of hand because common sense tells us surely we need some kind of creative intelligence. And whatever is responsible for the wonder of the world is more likely to be a whoever. Mother Nature captures this. It even sounds parental. The world makes more sense if there's some kind of benevolent provider. But if we've decided there is no God, well maybe it's Mother Nature. So if something looks like a duck and swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, apparently it's still not a duck. There's no room for a heavenly father, yet we're ready to welcome Mother Nature. Why? Well, Mother Nature makes no demands on us. Mother Nature seems to kind of mind her own business. And Mother Nature's more of a comfortable companion rather than a heavenly father who rules over us. Clearly the question of relationship between science and religion goes much deeper than the world of ideas it spills over into our everyday lives which is why so many people would rather keep god out of the picture the history of science shows that science and religion are more than compatible they're complementary from the beginning many early giants of science they believed in god it didn't get in the way of doing science it increased their appetite to do science Faith and reason, they work together for everyone. And so we can talk about this grand mechanism, but also it suggests there's a grand mechanic. We can talk about design, but that suggests there's a designer. That's why many fall into the trap of alluding to Mother Nature. Now, it's not our job to make anyone believe anything. We shouldn't try, but we should look at the same evidence that other people are looking at and use it to explain why it points to the wonder of God. As a closing example, I want to refer to one of Charles Darwin's tall tales. Darwin is described as the founder of modern evolutionary theory. His published work, Origin of Species, described how new species could emerge naturally without any supernatural direction or intervention. In the sixth edition, Darwin chose to use the giraffe as an illustration of how evolution could work through a process of natural selection. What did he say? Well, in times of drought, animals with longer necks, they have a distinct survival advantage. They can reach the higher leaves on the trees, so the shorter-necked animals would be disadvantaged and over long periods of time, the longer-necked giraffes would be more likely to survive Passing on their genes, generation after generation, until voila, the modern giraffe. It sounds very simple, but I have a few questions. What about the female giraffe? The female giraffe is a smaller creature with a shorter neck. They would be disadvantaged. What about the young adults? They would suffer with the same problem. And what about the baby giraffes? They rely on their mothers to pull leaves from the trees. The survival of long-necked males means nothing without a similar success story for the females, for the babies, for the young adults. Also, it's so much more than just a story about a little neck getting a little bit longer. The giraffe's long neck needs a complex, biological, chemical, structural mechanism to support it literally, which is why the giraffe is one of the wonders of the world. The giraffe should faint every time it takes a step, but its massive heart can pump blood five feet into the air. The giraffe's head should explode every time it bends down to take a drink, but an amazing system of valves constricts the flow of blood whenever it drops its head to the ground. We can marvel at the genius of the giraffe, and then we have to decide what is the best explanation. Don't fall for mother nature. It's a euphemism. For God. Don't fall for natural selection. The genius of the giraffe needs the added luck of advantageous random genetic mutation. Do be prepared to share why the genius of the giraffe points to the supernatural direction of an intelligent designer and why science and religion work together to uncover the wonders of the world that point to the wonder of God.
0: Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about Alec and his resources at alexmcclellan.com. That's www.alexmcclellan.com. I'm Tim Donnelly, and thanks for listening to A Jigsaw Guide to Life with Alec McClellan.